Hey there, Connected Adventist family. Good to have you all back again. Today's episode will be part three of the wilderness. And this stage is going to look at, yeah, understanding that in life, sometimes in certain situations, yeah, we can easily point the fingers at others, but there comes a lot more restoration when we can actually point the finger back at ourselves. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting episode and it's going to be an episode in which you're going to learn a lot about me and a lot of, um, yeah, probably not the best character traits and not the things that are most encouraging and positive about me, but I'm willing to go there because um, it has really been um, a good process for me and if it can bless others, then that's awesome. All right, here we go. All right, so as you all know, um, there was the three-week period uh, that I took a break from most of my ministries, and as a result, there was a lot of stuff that I sort of processed in those three weeks, and if you are not familiar with those episodes, uh, they are basically uh, three episodes, I can't remember the titles of them, but they do begin with um, becoming an Adventist atheist. So if you pretty much listen to the two episodes after that one, that's what happened in the three-week break, but specifically in relation to my faith. Uh, so those episodes were in relation to my faith, and there was obviously a lot of personal psychological stuff that I dealt with about myself in those in that same three-week break. Um, and I just thought I would share with you just basically how I processed all of that. Um, What I really want to touch on is just to start off with, when we have a look at the biblical characters um, that went through certain types of trauma or trials or difficulties, many of them, um, as I reflected on it, many of them went through a period during their trial or during their life where they had a time of self-assessment. And during that self-assessment, it really is just you opening your eyes up to seeing your weaknesses and the things that affect you as a person. And also in connection with the trials and in connections with the difficulties, it also showed you where you were at as a because of your weaknesses. So I will give you an example. Um, you have Peter and you have him being very zealous and being very... Um, yeah, very vocal about his commitment to his saviour. However, when it came to a point of um, when identifying um, to, yeah, identifying being connected with Jesus, then it just was all a bit too much. And that was obviously a weakness of Peter that he had to then overcome and assess and be aware of. We also have the example of, um, yeah, David, uh, when the prophet Nathan came and gave him the parable um, about the man stealing the other man's sheep. And, you know, David is just like furious at the idea of this man stealing what belonged to someone else. Um, And then when Nathan says that that is you, it then caused a lot of self-assessment for David. Uh, We also have Solomon. Solomon, who lived a life uh, that one would say was was a pretty good-looking life. Very, um, yeah, he was... He had sort of everything that one wanted. He was well known for his skills and for his knowledge and um, he had wealth to back that all up and he even had fame. But at the end of the day when he was about to die, uh, he realised that it was 
when he did his self-assessment, he realised, you know what, it, it actually wasn't worth everything that it it appeared to be. Uh, so there are a lot of, and there are many more, you know, we have Elijah, we also have Abraham, um, we have Jacob and Esau. And there's just so many examples of um, Christian people going through trials and difficulties and when they actually stepped back and looked at themselves in that situation, they realized that a lot of those difficulties came about because of their own personal um, issues and um, character defects, you could say. So in this stage, um, I obviously went through the whole, let's blame it on everyone else. And, um, you know, I I wrote that 10-page document, which is still growing, by the way, just so you know, my... My, um, I see. I realize that I, I tend to jump back into different stages in different periods, depending on different triggers that that I experience. But um, yeah, so this this next bit was a bit of self assessment, and it is a really important step because it is from here on that things start getting better. It is from here that you are able to take responsibility for your life. I felt that during this stage of um, me really understanding my personality and understanding the things that basically got me to the position where I was with um, this primary offender and the, the rest of the group, I realized that, yeah, um, I could have avoided the situation. There was a lot of things that I could have done to stop what happened. Um, and I think it, it gives you a lot of humility when you can actually take responsibility for some of your behavior. And when you can acknowledge that had I have been different, had I dealt with people and situations differently, I wouldn't be where I am today. And the reason why that I believe that that gives so much restoration is because from here on, you are actually now taking control of your life. Uh, from here on, I have found that I am taking control of not only um, myself, but also the, the the relationships and the interactions that I have with people currently, uh, which is really, really good. I have really just thanked God for it because I think there were certain relationships that I have and there are some red flags, but what I would normally ignore or I would normally try and be like, oh, let me not be so judgmental. Um, this time around, I have been very wise because they have reminded me of the, the situation that happened and uh, and that particular person. So because now I can look at it and be like, oh, hold on, that person did the same thing, let me not do that. Um, uh, yeah, it has really helped me with many of my other um, interactions and relationships with people, which is I, I think is just one of the bigger blessings. I feel that God has really uh, protected me in yeah, going through this all over again. Um, so that, that has been really positive. But I also think that the advantage of having this time of self-assessment as well um, is because it is going to help us grow. And as we know, humans suck. And I say that with a lot of passion. And the only way that we can get through life without so many injuries and without so much brokenness is understanding the way that humanity, including ourselves, um, 
how we deal with things and that is the best way to try and overcome all these difficulties that will present themselves it's not a if they will we just have to be um yeah very conscious of when those things are coming and and be observant of what's going on um when they do come along so um i wanted to also just make a note that if and this is sort of where we're gonna go into more detailed stuff but when we really take into consideration the fact that in order for an invader to enter um, into our home, into, you know, area that is just ours, in order for someone to break into our house to steal and rob and do all that sort of stuff, they have to come in with a certain amount of intention. And I believe that depending on, you know, people's personalities, I think some people are very aware of what they're doing. Um, they are very observant as to where there is weaknesses. They are um, very aware of personalities that they can manipulate to get the things that they want. Now, I say that based on my experience and I say that based on the fact that I believe, yeah, a lot of people, based on their experiences, based on their upbringing, they are just, yeah, very conscious of what kind of personalities they can actually, I say manipulate, but I don't know if they necessarily go into it with an idea of manipulating, but they definitely go into it thinking, yes, this is the kind of personality they will get. Um, maybe let me explain. Uh, you wouldn't get someone who is dominant trying to manipulate someone who is dominant. Generally, that is not based on just things I have observed and things I have been very like just I'm like assessing every single interaction I see with humans now it's usually a dominant and someone who's submissive that's usually the way that it works and even within someone who is submissive you they may still be a dominant if they are placed in a relationship or in an interaction with someone else if that makes sense so a, a submissive person can actually become a dominant if they find someone that is more submissive than them. Um, so I do believe that there is a certain degree of knowledge um, with people that go into these types of interactions. And yeah, we have to be aware of where we sit in that ladder. And honestly, this is how I assess anyone that I meet, <laughs> anyone new that I meet. I'm like, okay, who's the dominant and who's the submissive? Um, and the difference is, is that I don't use that for my gain. I don't try and find myself someone submissive because I want them to do what I want them to do kind of thing. I just assess the dynamics of what this interaction and this relationship is going to be like and be aware of, yeah, the things that come about with having that interaction. And you can find that within work, um, within the work environment, if, if your boss is a dominant um, and yeah, you can work out where you're going to be. And usually, you know, the dominants are the ones that clash at the workplace. And usually, guess what? The one that has less authority is the one that gets fired when things get messy. But yes, so that's, that's one thing that I did want you to understand is that the, the intruder, they, when they go to invade someplace, they look for the weak points. And I feel with the, with the experience that I had, I felt that that was what had happened. I truly believe that uh, the primary offender, 
and it sounds so official when I'd say it like that, but it just sounds better than the person that really hurt me. Um, so I'd just say the primary offender, I believe they understood my personality and they used that for their advantage. Um, as sincere as it may have been at the time, I believe they still knew very well what they were doing. And in the group dynamic, I believe that that was the same. I believe that um, everyone knew their place and what they were doing. Um, and yes, yeah, some of us actually had no idea. Some of us were like, oh, you know, we're just watching the butterflies go by, but really there's like a there's like a tornado about to hit us. Um, so that's that's the really important thing is that yeah, the the robber knows where the weak points are. But what I wanna point out more than anything in this stage is that I realized that the intruder or the invader will only come in if I haven't fortified the weak points. They will only come through the window if the window isn't strengthened. They will only come through the window if I haven't closed the window. And they will only break through the door if the door is a weak door. So I think that basically what I learned through this is that in order for us to avoid having the type of process that I had to go through, which was a very painful process, as you all know, um, it we have to fortify, like we have to strengthen our weak points and be aware of them so that this does not happen again. And basically what I mean by that and what that looks like in a personal level, how to apply it is that one, we have to be aware of our weaknesses. Where are our weaknesses and how are we letting the thief come in and rip our house to shreds and steal our emotions and steal our self-worth and yeah, all that sort of stuff um, is by being aware of our weaknesses. But secondly, close the door, close the window, lock it, like sheet it, do whatever you need to do in order for that to not become an area of weakness. And by that, I am in a, like to really apply that, that is boundaries. And I believe that after I have assessed this, um, I, do not, I did not have any boundaries. I think I am a person that is so sincere in wanting to do the best for everyone that I do not set any type of boundaries. Um, yeah, you want to be picked up in 10 minutes? Let me drop everything. I'll pick you up in 10 minutes. You need something. Um, you need me to do something for you? I'll do it. I have a busy day, but don't worry. I will make. There is a there's an area of my personality where I have no boundaries. I am so willing to do everything for everyone that it's fine if it was a perfect world <laughs> because then, you know, people wouldn't take advantage of you. But unfortunately, we live in a world that isn't like that. And that may not be my area of weakness. Maybe I am weak in other areas and we're going to find out that I am. And as a result, I might not take advantage of people in this way, but I I definitely take advantage of people in other ways. Um, and that doesn't necessarily make it that it's any better or any worse. At the end of the day, uh, the motives of why we do things is, is what always counts. Okay, so the thing that I wanted to go through, and I'll just give you a few examples of like the things that I feel I, as I assessed the whole situation, as I assessed the people that were involved, um, there were some things that came up and... I think 
Yeah, that, that once you're able to take responsibility for the things that are yours, yeah, it is a really good place. Now, I do want to make like a disclaimer here. This is obviously based on my relationship and based on the interactions that I had. So it is, and it's based on my personality as a 34-year-old woman. So there are things that at this, this stage, even though it is applicable in other experiences, I do want to make it clear that, you know, for people that were molested when they were a child or that were physically abused, verbally abused by an adult or a, or even a child, uh, for people that experience that kind of trauma, there is a step that is definitely um, beneficial for you to be able to take responsibility for your situation. And by that, I really want to clarify, it doesn't mean that it was your fault, but to understand and take responsibility that you were a child and you weren't able to stand up for yourself. You were a child who, um, out of fear, did not speak up and as a child you couldn't avoid certain situations you couldn't avoid the environment that you were in so that's what this stage sort of looks like for people that have gone through trauma as a result of you know um, adult authority in their lives or in situations where they just could that you literally could it's not your fault kind of thing if that makes sense um, so there is an element of responsibility but more so it's understanding where you were at in that situation, if that makes sense. It's understanding that you were a child and you couldn't stand up for yourself as a three, six, nine-year-old. Um, so that's what this stage sort of looks like for people that have had that type of trauma. But for this situation, obviously, I'm an adult. The people that were involved were an adult. So this stage does look a lot more like, oh, that was my fault. Um, and I can take a lot of responsibility for what I went through. Um, okay, so... For me, uh, these are the things that I took responsibility for in this situation with the people that were involved. I ignored countless red flags. I was listening to a, um, I was listening to a, it was like just a random video on Facebook and they were saying how, you know, it was specific to um, a romantic relationship and the guy was saying, you know, when you meet someone, Every flag is a green flag. And for those who don't understand green flag, red flag, it means like go. Uh, it means like safe. So a green flag is a go flag and it means it's safe, it's okay, everything's good. And red flags obviously stop, warning, caution, danger. So um, in this particular video, the guy says, you know, when you begin in a – and this is specific to romantic relationship. When you begin in a, a romantic relationship, he's like, everything they do is a green flag. It's so cute. And then so he gives the example. He's like, oh, it's so cute when your nose does that little whistle at night. And then he's like – and then three years later, that same – nose whistle becomes a red flag and you just want to like punch them and wake them up so that they stop snoring. Uh, so there were countless red flags that I experienced with the interactions that I had with the people involved and I just ignored them. I was like, oh, let me give them the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, that is probably an area that we all may do and it's something that we really have to take like really like seriously. We, we can't ignore things like that. Um, I'm going to just really just skim through these because I don't want it to be about the people again and the primary offender. I, I want to focus more on, on me and I'll blab on about me for a while, um, which is actually 
more therapeutic than blaming someone else. Okay, um, refusing to call out unfair and biased opinion regarding expectations between the people that were involved in the incident. Now, what that basically looks like, I saw this: the people that were involved, and specifically the primary offender, um, set up a, a great amount of expectations. There was a certain degree of... Um, how would you say it? There was a certain amount of commitment, expectation, dedication that was expected of me. However, this particular person on numerous occasions, and I mean like numerous occasions, did not live up to those expectations that were placed um, on me. And I sort of ignored that and didn't say anything. And then when I realized that that same sort of expectations were placed on the other people involved, but then that person didn't actually live up to those either. It was, um, you know, it just didn't sit well. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was fair, but I didn't say anything. Um, and then when I did try and say something, there was a certain degree of, you're just making a big deal. You're overreacting. Um, yeah, there was just a lot of like downplaying and invalidating my observations, even though I was like, no, nah, that is like so legit. Um, the primary offender set one set of rules while they placed different rules on me and the other people in the group. And that consistently happened. Um, I also fell for a ton of manipulative tactics to downplay any concerns that I had. Um, and that, when I've looked at this whole situation, I think that that is what has messed me up the most. I felt that, yeah, the particular person involved did a lot of things to mess with my head and call out a lot of insecurities of mine in order to detract from the reality of, hey, you are actually super, like, illegit. Um, you really have stuff that is not very um honest or true about you um so that wasn't that was this is probably that is the thing that has messed me up the most is that my own insecurities were used against me when I actually was right um and that's yeah that that's a hard one to actually move on from but um Another thing that was, in order to keep the peace, I didn't speak up against incorrect behavior from the beginning. And this is where I compare it to that green flag, red flag. There were red flags that I observed in this person's uh, leadership, in the way that they ran things, in the way that they uh, specifically interacted with me. And I didn't want to create issues. I wanted to be the peacemaker. And yeah, that resulted in a lot of damage and pain down the track. Um, yeah, so that was probably the main thing. I allowed myself to be played by doubting my gut feeling regarding many observations um, and inconsistencies. And this is another thing too that I feel... Um, I should have trusted myself. I should have been confident in what I was feeling and observing. And yeah, the benefit of the doubt actually doesn't need to be the solution for every single thing that, that we see. Um, now, given all of those, I think when it comes down to it, we must set boundaries 
and the boundaries can look very different for me personally um the the brokenness that this person created I must say I have never experienced but that was because I allowed I allowed the intruder to come in uh, through every window door I, I left everything open I, I feel I, I placed myself in an extremely vulnerable position and we're going to find out why in the rest of this episode but I felt that I was so open and willing and giving and just continually trying to be you know Mother Teresa that as a result there was a lot of damage done but that was because I didn't set up boundaries I was so naive um, and I would I'd even say I was actually quite stupid um, that I went as far as I went uh, with regards to this particular person and obviously with all of that you know it comes emotions and uh, there's there's a certain amount of of love and affection that we we cultivate for people as as they are part of our lives and when that is then infused in everything else um, it then is going to leave you in a place where you are going to have a lot of pain um, when yeah when the wilderness of reality hits in okay so that's probably all that I want to touch with regards to things that I have observed and assessed. And I said, you know what, if I had have done this, this outcome would have been very different. Now, turning this back onto me, why did I do that? This is the really important thing is once you have sort of had a look at, you know, the things that you could have done differently, the real deep, deep searching now is going to come from why do you do that? Why did you ignore the red flags? Why did you keep the peace when you knew your gut was feeling like this was wrong? Um, yeah, and as I went through this stage, this is the bit where I felt I really understood a lot of my behavior. Um, the first thing, I am definitely a people pleaser. And people pleasers do not know how to say the word no. Uh, but yeah, the word yes seems to come out as instinctively as breathing air does. And as I tried to work out why I'm a people pleaser, there was a lot of stuff that is attached to that. And, you know, it may, it may apply to you or it may not. Um, but I'll share with you how people pleasing look like and why it looked like that to me um so I there was experiences in my high school years where okay I'll go all the way back to primary school so in primary school I never was someone that sort of fitted in with the crowd and as a result there was always just I always had just one best friend like that was me just one best friend I don't need a crew I don't need a you know a squad and I never was one of those to be like in the popular group and you know at the time and I even say it now like I, that wasn't really a big issue for me but I think at the time it's not a big issue for you because you have nothing else um, if that makes sense it's like saying you know um, I, don't know I don't have an issue with having brown hair well it's because you got no choice kind of thing so um, I do believe that as a result of, you know, never really fitting in with the popular crowd. And I think that has a lot of reasons just to do because I was migrant and um, whatever. I just, I look different to your typical blonde, blue-eyed Australian girl. Um, so there was that aspect of it. But uh, obviously because of 
the friendships that I had in childhood, I have always been that kind of personality. It has always just been, I don't need a lot of people. I just need one close kind of person. Um, and I realized that because that was what had happened when I was little in primary and high school, I realized that as an adult, I realized that as an adult, what I had basically replaced that with, hey, in order to have the crew, in order to have the squad, meaning in order to have lots of people around me, let me just say yes to everyone. I'll not necessarily be the most popular, but at least a lot of people will like me. Um, And yeah, when I really looked at that, like, and I can tell you, I have never thought about it and just really analyzed and just assessed myself like I have during this period so it was like oh it was so full-on because I had that and on top of that I had my faith battles that I was doing so the three-week break was a little intense actually it was really really intense but um anyway so I'm, I'm I realized I'm like okay that's why I'm a people pleaser because of what happened during my primary years and during high school I realized one way to get a lot of people to like you um, and a lot of people to be there for you was to just say yes a lot. Um, And by default, people would be like, oh, you know, Catalina can do that and Catalina can do that. And um, There seemed to be this, yeah, like you just had attention. Um, And I'm not an attention-seeking kind of person. Um, I have a loud personality, like I like having fun kind of thing, but I'm not someone that goes out of her way to just be in a situation or be in a room and let me draw the attention to me. I I know people that do that and they're very intentional. Like they've told me, I walk into a room and I want everyone to look at me. That's not my kind of attention. I just, my type of attention is, okay, yeah, let's go. Okay, anyway, my type of attention would be more just people interacting with me. Um, And that is rooted on the fact that when I was in – my schooling years, I just didn't have a lot of people around me. It was always just me and one person. So that was that was one thing that I had to deal with, that that was why I was a people pleaser. Um, the other thing that I realized, and there's another thing, um, the reason why I was always a one, one friend kind of person, apart from the fact that the things that I couldn't control, that I just didn't fit in with the other people and, you know, whatever, uh, with the cool group and the big groups. And uh, there was another aspect too that being a migrant family, it literally was just my mum, my dad and my brother. Like it was just us three and that was it. We never had like a family get together where the cousins all played together and, you know, you, you went over to your auntie and uncle's place and you went to their birthdays and the other person. We went nowhere. Like we were just at home and my parents worked crazy hours. So they were always at work. So it was just me and my brother at home for the bulk of our time um, and our childhood. So there was this element of isolation from like six years of age. And I realized that 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 just that isolation continued through into my primary years, my primary school years and into my high school years. So, yeah, as an adult, I tried to, yeah, avoid all that isolation and people-pleasing was a great way to, to, to do that. Um, so that was the one thing that I, I 
came out of that whole process. And, you know, I'm still working on a lot of things. So God is still revealing more and more things as to why I do certain things and why I have the personality that I do. And um, it's been really good. It's been really good. And yeah. Um, Another aspect that I realized is that I am a very codependent person. And for people who don't understand that, codependency is basically when you have a desire for people to have a need for you. Again, this comes back to my people pleasing. Um, If I can please people, they have a greater need for me, which then uh, feeds into that codependency. So I realized that within the issues that I had, um, my codependency was one of the reasons why I believe that the the whole thing, the whole ordeal was as painful as it was. And like I said, if we had, if I had established boundaries and if we establish boundaries, but we can only establish boundaries when we are aware of who we are. Um, so I can't establish a boundary for an area in my life that isn't a weakness. We need to establish boundaries where, our areas are, where we have areas of weakness. Um, so Now that I am very aware that I have a codependency issue and that I will go into interactions, relationships with people and I will unconsciously try and create that codependency um, relationship, like I will just naturally try and do that. And I realise that there are certain people that I specifically... um, I, I, I sort of, yeah, I identify them as people that will probably feed into my codependency really well. Um, and yeah, I'll just go with that. So that's another thing that I realized as well during this whole process is that I have a codependency issue, which then um, makes, yeah, maybe makes the interactions that I have with people a little messy. Um, and it can be yeah, it can get really draining, but at the same time, as draining as it can get, you just actually really, you you really just enjoy that um, because, again, it brings it back to you um, getting attention um, and feeling like someone needs you um, and not feeling that rejection. Another reason that, another thing that I looked at too was I am very passive um, and once you link all these things up, you'll realize, oh, no wonder, no wonder you are what you are kind of thing. But I realize I'm very passive, so I don't give clear voice to my dislikes. Um, I remember there was someone who'd always be like, oh, do you like this? And I'd be like, oh, I don't mind. They'd be like, no, I just asked, did you like it or don't you like it? And I'm like, it's okay. No, d-. like I just could not say no. I just, it was like I did not want to say that I didn't like it. Um, and... Yeah, so I believe that as we uh, become so neutral in understanding ourselves and expressing who we are, there comes a point where you literally have no idea what to do. I remember someone asking me, oh, you know, what do you like to do? What do you like to do for fun? And all I could think of, I'm like, like, all I can think of is shopping. Like there was just, I couldn't think of anything that was something that I enjoyed, something that I'm, oh, you know, like some people, I love hiking. Like I just love going for hikes. Or some people would be like, um, I love reading. Um, I, I I just, I couldn't identify things that 
were me. And that is because I had gotten to a point where everything was about everyone else. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to eat, wherever you want to drive, like everything was about everyone else that I couldn't even identify things that were were me. And yeah, that was a big eye-opener because I remember um, we were trying to plan a day of activities and so there was a there was a person that was within uh, the group that we were with and they were like, oh, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, all I could think of, it looked, took less than a second and I'm trying to guess what other people would want to do and I'm going to say that that's what I want to do. And I think I did that and the person's like, do you really want to do that or are you just saying that because you think that's what we want to do? Um, so that's another thing. There's, there's a Once we are... We're so, and, and I'll tell you, like, I, it's it's a fear of rejection. You don't want to express what you like or what you don't like out of a fear of rejection, that the group will reject you, the person will reject you. Um, there may be an element of embarrassment depending on who you are. Some people make, may, might make fun of uh, what your likes and dislikes are. And if you're not able to take that, take, you know, their jokes or take their rejection or dislike of your activity, then yeah, guess what you do? You just people please and you just try and guess what everyone else wants to do. So that was another aspect that there was within the interaction that I had with this person and with the group and with the group. There were many opportunities where I should have expressed my dislike. Um, I should have expressed my disapproval for the behaviors um, and the treatment and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't. Um, now, I feel that when we lose the confidence to voice our dislikes, when it is out of a fear of rejection or abandonment or to be made fun of, it is very hard to really stand firm for your principles, for what you believe, and to stand up for yourself. So I really want to just... Yeah, make you all aware that if we become so passive to the point where we don't express our likes or our dislikes, there will come a point where people will treat us a certain way and because we are so passive, we do not actually stand up for ourselves and we have to be able, even within, you know, Christianity, because it's very easy to say, oh, but you have to be humble and, you know, what would Jesus do? But there is no need for us to allow for us to be mistreated. And there is no need for us to be just, I mean, I'm going to use this really harsh, but there's no need for us to be stupid and to allow people to walk over us. Uh, There is uh, Jesus, when he had to stand up and when he had to like rebuke the Pharisees, that's what he did. Um, When Jesus had to speak in a harsh way because of injustice and because of mistreatment, um, he spoke up. So I do believe that we have to defend ourselves when there is a place where people are taking advantage of us. Now, if people are falsely, you know, giving false accusations of us and things like that, um, I believe that we are also to, you know, express that this is not correct, that this is not true. Um, but we're not. We don't need to get into a punch up at the at the business meeting. Um, that's not as far as we need to go. But I do believe that we need to say, "Hey, this is actually not right, and this is not what 
what is really true. So I do believe that we have to be careful when we use the line, what would Jesus do? Because sometimes what would Jesus do is not necessarily what we think Jesus would do. And when we really uh, see what the psychological, like how that psychologically connects to our personality, it can actually be something that is very dangerous and can do a lot of damage uh, for our us personally, and um, I believe within the church as an organization as well. So um, as I continue to delve with all these things um, and with the situation, there are definitely aspects, and I have said this on a previous podcast, that there are reasons why this situation ended the way that it did and why it was as painful as it was. And a lot of it has to do with my own insecurities. It has a lot to do with my own defects. And it also comes down to just my own sins. Uh, there is there is definitely selfishness and there is um, yet yeah, many other sins that have ended me up where I am now uh, because I wasn't able to stand up for what was true. I wasn't able to stand up for what God really wanted um, with me. And I think that that's another aspect that we have to be aware that within certain situations, we have to really assess the intentions and the motives over our own hearts because sometimes it is very easy to downplay our issues and to downplay why we behaved the way that we behaved, why we allowed uh, what we allowed. And it's very easy to blame it on other people. But I think when we can get to this stage in this process, it is now a place where um, there is a lot of heart searching. There is a lot of transparency between us and God. And also there is there is space for repentance. There is for us to understand that um, in our longing for acceptance, in our longing for love, in our longing for um, being valued, that we can, yeah, we can actually go into areas that are just of no benefit um, and are actually, yeah, not going to be pleasing in God's eyes and they will be sin. So, yeah, keep that all in mind because um, it, is, it is really important that unless we can be true and honest with God, we are going to be um, like Solomon, living it up having God's blessings like poured around us, but then get to the end of it and realize, oh, okay, yeah, even in amongst God's goodness, my heart was not where it could have been and where it should have been and life would have been different without it. Um, so I do believe that in this process of self-assessment, it is going to give you a greater understanding of your heart and the deeper that you're able to dig in terms of, oh, okay, I'm a people pleaser. Oh, yes, I have codependency issues. And, um, oh, I'm a peacemaker. We can look at it really superficial, like really like just on the surface. Or we can ask God, please help me to see clearer. Please open my eyes even more to why I'm a people pleaser, why I am so codependent, what does that, what unhealthy dysfunction does that feed? Um, because it is once we can really see ourselves for, yeah, I mean, the broken people that we are, and we are all broken for different reasons, we all have the codependency and we all have all the dysfunctions and the insecurities that we have for a reason, um, they didn't just we weren't born with them. Unfortunately, there are a lot of social and environmental issues um, 
and factors that have led us to be where we are right now. But I believe that when we can continue to dig deeper and really work that out, uh, God is going to show us in a greater light our need for Christ. And as we really dig deeper into why we um, have these behavior and have these character traits, God is going to actually be able to fill those gaps up for us instead of us trying to fill them by creating, you know, unhealthy relationships, uh, dysfunctional interactions. Um, And yeah, it's really going to help us to have a deeper longing for Christ and it's going to have a deeper desire to experience to know and to understand the love of God. So my encouragement is is that as you go through this step and honestly it has taken like it took me 7 months of mourning and blaming and just yeah really severe depression. It took me 7 months before I could get to this stage, but this stage is still going. I'm still continuing to assess my behavior and assess my heart because I do believe that there is still a lot of things that are not only dysfunctional but I think there are still things that are very sinful I think that there are things that um, yeah if I am not able to surrender them to God with an awareness of them existing um, it is I will just naturally fall back into the same um yeah, vicious cycle of, of continuing a cycle of brokenness uh, with whoever else comes into my life next. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's what I wanted to share with you. And I pray that you will continue to dig deep and whatever experience it is that maybe you're going through or that someone else, uh, someone that you know is going through, maybe you're able to help them through this process. Um, but yeah, it is really restorative. There is a lot of healing, um, Uh, yeah this process is still going and I believe it will be going for a very long time just because yeah there's a lot of stuff to deal with when you haven't dealt with it for 34 years but I'm thankful that I'm dealing with it now and not waiting till like I'm 70 to deal with all this stuff because then I truly feel that there would have been so much more brokenness if I had have continued with my life going um yeah dealing with with interactions and and dealing with humans in the way that I have until now so yeah, it's it's really encouraging. Um, and yeah, as painful as it may, may seem, just remember that the healing comes after this. Um, all right, well, thanks for joining me. And yeah, my prayer, my hope, and my desire is that you stay warm in God's love, that you stay cool for Jesus' name, and that you stay on fire with the Holy Spirit. All right, see you. Stay connected.